Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. This is Mike from the Main Push Podcast. That is right. I just want to reach out to my listeners and say thank you for your time and thank you for your support on support me of what I love the most, and that is wrestling. We're going to be talking about all kinds of different angles in the wrestling business today. We're going to be going back into the past, the present, and the future. The future, you say? Yes. The future is what's going on in AEW, what's going to be happening in WWE and NXT from my point of views and from a fan's perspective. This is what I love. This which one here. Let's cut the intro. Let's cut the theatrics. Let's cut the shit and let's talk wrestling. Welcome back to a new edition of the main push. I'm trying to get things, you know, back rolling again. Um, I know I kind of been um, off track here for a little bit. I'm still trying to bounce back from, uh, you know, from the COVID and stuff I got going on. But um, I'm going to try to cover um, a lot of ground here from uh, October the 1st to the 8th, I'm guessing here. Um, from SmackDown, Raw, and uh, a little bit of Rampage and some and, um, and a cover a lot of Dynamite here. Um, I'm going to skip on the NXT because um, after I saw on the new phasing brand of the 2.0 it's just it i just don't feel like it's really worth my time on digging into because i mean but i, I would like to see what they're going to do with braun but i mean but i just i don't feel like sitting for two hours watching something that's not really going to catch my interest so um and in this segment i'm going to call out um quite a bit of unnecessary bad shit that i've been seeing here on the smackdown and raw and, and aew but uh, but there's going to be a, a, a great highlights too. There's going to be a lot of high points uh, as well. So, but I just I have to point that out in the beginning because because um, then if I don't, then I feel like I won't be truthfully honest to the point of my uh, point of view of how I feel. Because uh, I mean that's I mean that's the greatest thing you could ask from a wrestling fan is their honest point of view. Um, before I dig into everything, um. I like to say um, Reggie Parks, the king of the belts, he recently just passed away here on the 7th. Um, for the people that don't know who Reggie Parks is, he was the creator of, a, of the NWA belt, and he also created um, the Eagle uh, WWF Championship belt and the Intercontinental belt and the tag team titles that was held through what? I think it's like from 85 all the way through most of the 90s. So, I mean... Uh, rest in peace, Reggie Parks, man. Uh, your your uh, contribution, uh, your creativity, design of the belts, man. Not only you created history, but you created memories. Just think of the memories of that winged eagle belt just being passed from Bret Hart to Yokozuna to the Undertaker, and just you know all all around Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior. Just man, you, that's it's just a great a lot of great memories. Just 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 fly off that title. So, um, man, just I mean, you, your your creativity, design on those belts, man, they're never going to be forgotten, man. They're going to be cherished forever for you know for the um, for the old fans out there. Um, when it comes down to SmackDown and Raw, um, you know. From the first to the fourth, they have the the draft going on. So honestly, until after Crown Jewel, ladies and gentlemen, uh, which is I think Crown Jewel's on a Thursday, the twenty first. So on the twenty second, that's when the drafts 
decisions go into effect is after Crown Jewel. So right now, they're just buying by some time, just getting through these next couple weeks until after Crown Jewel, to be honest with you. Um, I'm not going to name off who's going to Biggie, but who's going to Raw. But um, it's just because it's just, it's just a lot of names to say and a lot of ground to cover, and I haven't covered all of that. And And at this point, it's like, you can't even tell who's really on Raw or SmackDown right now because now they're buying by the couple weeks that are going past by. So you got SmackDown Town going to Raw, putting their time on Raw about how they feel about going to Raw when they should just display it on SmackDown. So it's like they're already been they've been bending these fucking rules for for quite some time, and 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 the crap just irritates me, because if you're gonna stick with something, then fucking stick with it. I mean, don't be bending and breaking the rules, and just I mean, don't get me wrong, I I love uh, I love uh, seeing different caliber matches, and you know, it just it, going through that thought process of seeing matches that we don't really see, going you know people from. Raw going to SmackDown and SmackDown people facing Raw, whatever match that we don't really see on a regular basis. But if you're going to do the draft and you're going to have people from Raw go to SmackDown and vice versa, then just stick with the fucking rules. Don't be having your SmackDown town or Raw town going back and forth from one brand to the other talking about, well, I'm still a Raw person. I got unfinished business to take care of on Raw, but I'm going to SmackDown just to say, hey, I'm going to be... But, man, get, get the fuck out of here, okay? Oh, so anyways, um, we'll dig more into the whole draft crap here in a second, but um, the best thing I could say about uh, SmackDown on the first was, um, which it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a building-up segment for this feud that's been going on for some time. Um, there was a... There was a segment where um, Edge was cutting a promo um, talking about their feuds back and forth, and uh, and he's waiting for Seth Rollins to uh, to answer. And Seth Rollins is like, he's on the Titantron, and he says, I would love to be there, but look where I'm at. And guess where Seth Rollins was at? He was on the front doorstep of Edge's house. So Edge is already freaking out because, you know, his wife and kids are think that they're at home and everything. But everybody knows this shit was already planned out and whatever. And I'll get to more of that in a minute. But uh, Edge turns the doorknob and notices that the door is unlocked. So he just waltzes right in like he owns the place. You know, he says, because, man, I know you live in a little bootsy little country town or whatever where everyone's, you know, just... You know, not not scared of whatever, feeling free to keep their doors unlocked. But but come on, man, on you know, keep the door locked at least. You know. So, anyways, he's just prancing around the house. He's looking at the kids' book bags and pointing that crap out. And what's funny is you could tell this is bullshit because I'm gonna cut to this part real quick. Um, when he goes to the kitchen and he starts drinking Edge's orange juice, you could see in the back like in the back toward the living room because I guess the kitchen cuts cuts down all the way into the living room and, and uh and you can see on the ground there's this big ass huge fucking Siberian husky. It's just fucking just laying there all comfortable like, you know, like Seth's a part of the family and shit. So because I know every dog is different, but if he was truly a stranger and 
He's doing a fucking B&E and stuff like that. Then that dog would probably fucking going up to him and bothering him, barking, or if it's a roofless fucking Siberian Husky fucking Cujo or some shit, then he'd be gnawing out his damn ankles and fucking knee and shit like that, and which and, and then that does not happen in this segment. So you could already tell this is already full of shit, so... And he's just sitting at the kitchen table, and he's looking at the artwork of the kids and pointing that stuff out. And he's like, "Oh, you know, look, that's, that's the kids' work." It's just, you know, I think it, I think it, I think it kind of cracks a joke about the artwork as kind of like on the special retarded phase or some shit. And then he goes off into um, another room of the house, and he kind of just rubs his shoes on his furniture, and he points at the family photo of Edge and Beth and all of them, and. So, yeah, whatever. So, I mean, it is what it is. They're, they're building up this feud for something, you know, so, and, and I'll get to those points here in a second. But Edge is on the phone calling Bev saying, don't go to the house, Seth is there. Go to so-and-so's house, whatever. Just don't go there because that's where Seth's at, yada, yada. So, okay. So, that's what I'm going to cover with here on the October 1st of, of the SmackDown brand because... As I was saying, that the majority of the show is mostly just covering. They're focusing more on the draft. And I said there's just a lot of names and a lot of talent being thrown back and forth. And, I mean, and honestly, I just, you know, it's it's just it's, it's not really much to talk about. Because, yeah, I mean, the draft has already been settled. I mean, they already listed the talents and everything. But you can't really go into the whole facts about the different names that are going back and forth until it's finally settled and they actually go their own ways on October the 22nd. So, but the Seth Rollins thing, I was I wanted to tune into that to see what happens. Um, and another thing I don't have written down in my notes is um, uh, the, the Roman Reigns segment with uh, Paul Heyman. And then um, they're in the back in the locker room, and I'm trying to remember how the promo went, but God, I'll tell you what, man. I, I never, I mean, I don't want to say never. I never... It's just now he's finally kind of growing on me because he's like fucking doing his, the, the best acting I've ever seen him do, man. I, and I love it. I love the whole fact that, you know, Brock Lesnar is in the picture now and he's stirring the pot and stirring up some shit. And so that's causing trouble in paradise between him being the wise man for the tribal chief, Roman Reigns and the bloodline and the Usos and everything. So um, during this segment... On October 4th, uh, not 4th, October 1st of SmackDown. They were naming the talents of who's going, who's been drafted on SmackDown in the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th round of SmackDown and Raw. Well, nowhere in that first four rounds of the first night has the Usos name hasn't been called. So, Roman Reigns is getting upset. He's getting furious, but he's keeping his cool. That Like, like that cool edged confidence that Roman Reigns has, man, and, and I, I mean, I fucking love it, man. Roman Reigns is the best shit going on on WWE right now, man. I love the whole acknowledge me and the bloodline and the tribal chief, man, and, and, and it finally took him this long a year and a half ago for him just to be heel and him being paired up with Paul Heyman, and I'm glad they actually did this because Brock Lesnar kind of just comes and goes, when the time is right and the money's right, and we're going through a middle of a pandemic, so he's not going to be coming anytime soon. But now, 
they're trying to get back to full capacity where they you have a full house and full pay-per-view house shows and stuff like that. So maybe they're clear and they're, they've been cutting agencies and and talents to to make room just to pay these people like John Cena and Brock Lesnar. So um but you know Brock Lesnar man he I, he doesn't have a whole lot to prove but when he's thrown in the storylines, like with Roman Reigns, in which, as I said, the, the tables have turned in this one because Paul Heyman is not with Brock Lesnar, or is he tricking Roman Reigns because he is really with Paul, uh, Brock Lesnar? It's like you, you really don't know what's going to happen, but Paul Heyman is like stuck in the middle and scared shitless for his life. So, going back to this, Roman Reigns has directed the fact that how come the Usos have not been drafted to SmackDown? I've been drafted to SmackDown. He says, Paul, you're the wise man. You're supposed to keep the bloodline together, you know? And so Paul Heyman is crying, man. He's scared shitless, and he's stuttering, and just, you know, you know. he says, I'm tell you what you're going to do. You're going to go to Raw, and you're going to go with the Usos, and you're going to make things right. Bring my boys, bring the Usos, bring the Broadline to SmackDown. And he's like, yes, my travel chief, yada, yada. So Paul Heyman leaves. And then Paul, not Paul, but Roman Reigns names the stipulations on if y'all don't get drafted to SmackDown, then leave Paul Heyman for dead on Monday Night Raw. So, man, that was that was a nice touching spot. That was that was a good spot on that segment. Um I think I think Brock Lesnar uh, Brock Lesnar came out earlier that day and they had like a face to face and he cleared out the Usos in the ring earlier that um, that day, um, but the, the, the I mean the the storyline here man it's it's building up to something great I feel like it really blends in well because Brock Lesnar has been gone for that long and the tables have turned where Paul Heyman is on Roman Reigns side and and and, and you know and Paul Heyman is another responsible factor for the reason why the bloodline and the Usos and Roman Reigns are all together like how they are now to probably create one of the best heels of uh, uh, factions right going going today or 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 ever so um okay let's uh move forward after uh smackdown you have the the AEW rampage this is on the 1st I'm going to cut uh, just a few facts here. Um, this is on Friday night. So fall, that following Wednesday, uh, Sammy Guevara, um, he won the TNT Championship. He beat uh, Miro. And he did an open challenge for Bobby Fish from NXT to face him on that coming Wednesday. So uh, this rampage starts off with Brian Danielson versus... Nick Jackson, it's a 20-minute time limit singles match. Um, overall, man, it was a pretty solid match. Um, Nick Jackson wasn't really doing too much of the stupid shit. I just hated the fact that their Matt was there and he was doing the stupid shit, you know, like the dumbfounded face, like, did I do that? Did I do that? That kind of crap. So, um just I, I just the stupid comedy spots, man. I just I get sick and tired of it. It's it's like they're trying to win people over with that crap, and it's just it's just annoying, man. So or or maybe they're just doing it on purpose just to be annoying. So you so because they are heels, so you can get sick of them. But whatever. But um, uh, 
Overall, man, the Brian Danielson and Nick Jackson match, it was it was solid for what it was. It was very limited on the stupid shit because you got Brian Danielson that's about wrestling and he's very serious and he's there to, you know, to pursue his career on not playing it safe on staying with WWE, so he's going to go to AEW to, you know, to broaden his horizons, and I'm all for that. So, um, but, uh, but uh, the, the finish toward this match is the, is the Brian Danielson. He did the cattle mutilation. I'm not going to dig too much into this. I, I want to cover some more stuff here because there's going to be more bad shit in between these two guys here on this fucking eight-man tag match that happened on Wednesday. So, but overall, it, this was a little, was more serious than the eight-man tag match that's, that's coming up within the next week because, um, because it's the two single competitors and they could both work together. They can both get their uh, spots in, and they could both, and, you know, and Brian Danielson could work one-on-one -on -one with someone to make this match more seriously, and, uh, and I mean, there is, uh, and there, there wasn't fucking no damn 15,000 fucking BTE triggers and 15,000 super kicks and none of the ballerina crap, so it was cut down to a minimum, so, I mean, it, overall, man, it was, it was a solid match, it wasn't the greatest thing, but, it was, it was it's definitely one of the better matches that I've seen Nick Jackson have in a while. So, um, And I, I think later that night, there was like a three-way hardcore match between Thunder Rosa and two other competitors. It was, just, it was just pointless to me. I didn't really pay attention to it. And then the main event was, um, was a hair-versus-hair hair match between Orange Cassidy and some other guy. And I didn't really pay attention to that because, you know, Orange Cassidy is like... Uh, I mean, I'm not knocking Orange Cassidy. Uh, I mean, he is the comic relief talent in the AEW brand, and I, and I, I mean, facing facts here, every brand in wrestling has got to have that comedy gimmick. Everyone has it, is you know, and and the fans just totally love uh, Orange Cassidy. He just, he's kind of just dumbfounded. He's like, "What, man? We're it's a hair match? Well, I didn't know that. Or, oh, well, you didn't know just right before you went to the ring or whatever. But okay." So, I mean, other than, there's not really too much to talk about on the Rampage thing. Um, so, um, moving forward to the fourth on Monday Night Raw, uh, Becky Lynch and Shard Flair and Belair, they come out and they cut the promos on each other, and it builds up to where Belair and Flair are going to have a main event match later that day. And, uh, and as I said, the whole SmackDown thing, you know, and the Raw crap, at this point, I already wrote down because uh, Becky Lynch is going to Raw, and I think Flair is going to SmackDown. So Flair is the SmackDown Women's Champion, and Becky is the Raw Women's Champion. So at this point, they should be switching belts at this fucking point, because if you're going to pursue these two, you know, in, into your brands of being the you know the champion, the women's division champions, then they you should be swapping belts at this point and just defend them right after the crown jewel. So that's how I feel about this. So um, after that, there was a match between Jeff Hardy and Damian Priest. It was a solid match for what it was. Uh, uh, I mean, they, they both got their spots in. It was, it was a very well-designed match, uh, very well choreographed. Um, uh, Damian Priest ends up winning the, the match, and he keeps his, uh, I guess, that U.S. title or whatever. Um, but it's just... I haven't dug in too much to Damian Priest because 
I mean, I I hate to say it, that zombie crap at Hell in the Cell, man, it, it, it kind of ruined me for watching anything that revolved around Damien Priest. And that's not Damien Priest's fault. It's just they're promoting that uh, Batista movie that was on Netflix, that zombie movie. And it's just, man, it's just zombies don't belong in damn wrestling. I've, I, I've, I've mentioned this crap. It really pissed me off when I saw this crap. It's just... It was a complete fucking horseshit spot, and it was just entertainment bullshit, and it wasn't wrestling. So, um, after the match, Jeff Hardy cuts a promo about having his new opportunity on SmackDown because I guess he's going from Raw to SmackDown, and he says it, 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 uh, he could present a different side, a different ego. So, on social media, they've been building up on the new ego that might be coming to SmackDown is the persona of Jeff Hardy, which is Willow. So are we going to be seeing Willow on SmackDown? Maybe. That's, that, that, that could be a strong possibility. But how I strongly feel about that is, is okay, but WWE has a bad reputation with these last years that they bring out these great gimmicks and they just fucking ruin them. They fucking bury them into the ground. Like the same thing with Braun Strowman and then when, when Bray Wyatt went to The Fiend, I mean, they ju- they're just killing their great fucking gimmicks here. And uh, I love the Willow run when I was watching Jeff Hardy do Willow in the TNA brand back, what, almost 10 years ago, back 2012, 2013, whatever. I mean, I loved, I loved that angle when he was doing it in TNA, and it was great because... It built it because it built up Jeff Hardy into something even greater. How I personally felt being from outside of just being Jeff Hardy, the Hardy Boys. So um, I hope that maybe they pursue onto something serious with that, with Jeff Hardy when he goes to SmackDown instead of him just being like a mid card kind of a guy. Maybe he could be like um, a, you know like a main event guy because Jeff Hardy can be a main event guy when the time is right. I mean the guy is in his fucking, what, middle 40s, and he can still do shit that he did damn 20, 25 years ago, and it's so damn crazy that the guy's not even paralyzed yet. So, um, so I'm looking forward to that, but during that promo, Austin Theory cuts to his promo, fucking fanboying him, you know, uh, I'm gonna be working with you, and I can't believe I'm in the ring with Jeff Hardy, can we take a selfie, whatever, it was just a setup attack, just to attack Jeff Hardy, so this looks like this is going to be an angle match before he goes to SmackDown, so, I don't know who the fuck Austin Theory is, I can give a shit less, um, so, we're just gonna, I'm gonna move forward from that, um, after that, there was a promo, where they have Matt Riddle, and, Randy Orton together, which their their tag team name together is RK Bro, because you got the Orton and you got the Bro guy Matt Riddle, which I I mean it's just so Matt Riddle's cutting his promo. I'm already getting fucking disgusted because he's already mentioned the fact about uh, Riddle said that is that a snake in your pocket or are you just happy as I am? So you could you could just look at the, the disgusted, irritating face that Randy Orton has, like. I can't believe Vince McMahon is pairing me up with this guy just to cut a fucking check and just to win this guy over. So you can tell that Randy Orton is ready to be on his fucking own and cut ties with this fucking pot-headed fucking stupid-ass fucking scooter riding birds flying out of your ass fucking guy. So, <clears throat> so Randy Orton's getting discussed. This dude says, dude, are you done? Are you done? It's like, I, I appreciate the compliments of what you're trying to say, but are you done? Okay, so Randy Orton cuts back to business, and he wants to challenge uh, Omos 
I guess, to a single competitive match or whatever, which uh, I didn't really dig too much deeply into that because um, I was looking into other stuff here, so um, we're going to move forward with that, and I guess the reason why I didn't dig too much more into this crap because it's just it's just the whole fucking Chicha Chong, you know, pot belly sense of humor, fucking, whoa, bro, and just, I just, I just wish they would do something more with Matt Riddle. I'm sure the guy can go in the ring and he could do great stuff, but just, just this, this ain't doing nothing for me. As I mean, and I'm, I'm just, I'm just speaking the truth here. This, this is just my point of view. I mean, I'm sure he, there's people out there that like him and whatever, and that's cool, but just, he just doesn't do nothing for me. I'm sorry. So, um, Big E comes to the ring. And, uh, it cut, uh, and, and, uh, Drew McIntyre comes to, to the ring as well. And he cuts a promo on Big E talking about congratulations on being the WWE champion. Uh, and then he lets him know that you deserved it and you've, you know, you've come a long way and yada, yada. And of course, Drew McIntyre has to mention the fact that I've got to, I, the bell was taken away rightfully, uh, cheaply away from me. And he wants to challenge uh, Big E to a WWE Championship match. So as that was going on, Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode, the tag team called the Dirty Dogs, come out. Ziggler cuts a promo on Big E and Drew McIntyre, letting them know that they should be thanking Dolph Ziggler because of their because of his mentoring he brought on the two of them that made them even to bigger star after he left uh, Dolph Ziggler. Because at one time when Dolph Ziggler was the WWE champion, I guess Big E was like the bodyguard to him or whatever. I wasn't watching it at this time, so I, I, I don't know too much on that. But they showed highlights on the Titantron. I said, like, yeah, you see how you were my bodyguard? I mentored you or whatever. Now you went on to bigger, bigger, uh, better things. You became tag team champions and intercontinental champions and U.S. champion. And you had the New Day going for you, so... You really didn't start getting big until after you left me for my mentoring, and then that's when he that's when he cuts on Drew McIntyre goes, "Man, the same thing for you, big guy. I'm gonna get to you too because because uh, we were uh, we were a tag team champions, and then we cut you cut ties for me, and then end up making you a bigger, better thing because he's won the WWE Championship. He's he's a, a much bigger star than he ever was, you know. So. And then so Biggie and Drew, uh, Drew McIntyre looking at him like, well, it's like we're looking. They're looking at Dolph Ziggler. It's like, well, they trimmed the fat that what the fuck that was holding them back, and that was Dolph Ziggler. <coughs> and so they kind of crack a joke toward um, Dolph Ziggler. Said, so, well, I could see that you fucking upgraded here. They're talking about Bobby Roode. And so Bobby Roode. I don't know why. I mean, I love Bobby Roode, but he's cutting this promo about you know. Everybody is big in here. You're Big E, and then they call me Big Bob, and then and Big E's like nobody doesn't call you fucking Big Bob. I don't even know why you're even saying that shit. So Dolph Ziggler cuts back into the promo. So he cuts back. He wants to cut the shit. It's like man, I just I just deserve a thank you. I've been out here patiently. I've been waiting for y'all to hear to say it. I just come out here to to say Dolph. I thank you. So Big E says, yeah, you deserve something. You deserve an ass whipping. So it's going to be a tag match with Big E and Drew McIntyre versus the Dirty Dogs. So uh, as I said, WWE is just buying time after the crown jewel. It's just a random SmackDown people on Raw TV and people could... You know, and, and people complain about the amateur hour shit on AEW, but it's like when the creativity on fucking WWE is just as bad. It's just, un, uh, it's just as bad as, as unprofessional. 
So, I know I'm kind of jumping around here because, as I said, man, because there is a whole bunch of jumping around here because of the fucking draft. So it's kind of hard to pinpoint and kind of focus on one thing or another. So, so anyways, after that, um, Goldberg comes out to the ring. He cuts a promo about wanting to break Bobby Lashley's neck for what he did to his son at SummerSlam. Um, what I would love to seen after SummerSlam on that was because uh, at SummerSlam, Bobby Lashley and Goldberg they had a match, and uh, there was a spot where Gage jumps on Bobby Lashley's back and he kind of pulls him over his head and slams him on the ground and then that's when MVP the you know the the manager of the hurt business is like well wait a second do not hold Bobby Lashley against this because he did because that could have been anybody he did not know that was a child so I mean I would have loved to see an, an, an angle the next night like fucking Goldberg pressing charges or some shit having him like locked up in jail and Steve Austin would just go, like, bending the rules and breaking the rules and attacking authority, and he used to be arrested and shit. I, I, I would have loved to see that angle with Goldberg, just seeing him get fucking arrested and Lashley laughing and shit. I mean, uh, I mean to, to, make it, to make things a little bit more realistic, because you did slam around a fucking minor, okay? So, but they didn't work that angle in there. I would have loved to see that, but they didn't. So, <laughs> Lashley comes out to the stage. It states the fact that uh, the incident was an accident, and, uh... And all this buildup is not worth me ruining my custom-made uh, suit to come down there and to kick your ass again like how I did at SummerSlam. He says, but I'll tell you what, I'll do it again at Crown Jewel, but under one condition. Let's this, let this be a no-holds-barred. And Goldberg just hits the ground on his knees. Oh my God, thank you, Lashley, because those stipulations mean I could kill you. So but you know, I'm going to cut to the fact it's Bobby Lashley. He pretty much says, Bobby Lashley, you're next. So, okay, whatever. So, I mean, I thought Goldberg was already at the end of his contract when it comes to matches for this year. So maybe he does have this one last match at Crown Jewel and and whatever they do with Goldberg, they do with him. I mean, he kind of just comes and goes. I mean, I already felt like he already made it here and got his point across with the whole when he had his feud with um with Brock Lesnar or whatever. That was a great spot because he didn't wrestle in almost like fifteen years, but. The whole angle of Goldberg, man, just having him come back here and there for just high money spots, man, it's just, it's getting tiring, man, it's getting old, it's getting burnt out, just, and, and I think just the fans just deserve something, I don't want to say something better, but just something new, because Goldberg doesn't really have nothing left to prove here, and I understand that, you know, they bring Goldberg in for the money attraction to put put asses in the seats and everything, but... You could also still do that if you build up a good storyline with some of your newer talent that you have here. So, Okay, so we're going to be moving forward here. We are going to go to the segment of um, October the 6th for uh, AEW Dynamite. Okay, we're going to be skipping over NXT. We're going to go straight to Wednesday night, which is the October the 6th on AEW Dynamite, Wednesday night. It kicks off right to the bat. Eight men already standing in the ring. 20-minute time limit. You have the super elite in the ring. So that's the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, and Adam Cole. Versus Christian, Luchasaurus, Dan uh, Brian Danielson, and Jungle Boy. And the bad thing about having all these guys in the ring at one time is just Justin Roberts, the announcer, He's cutting their names so quickly that there is no 
given time for a crowd response. And in that uh, that in-ring time, it does kill the star entrance because for the people that don't watch this brand on a regular basis, or, or they're just thinking about coming back into wrestling that don't know these names, you want to see the entrances of your star talent coming out to the ring, like Adam Cole. So when he says, in the ring, Adam Cole, and so, so there, there's not even no time for him to do the whole fucking Adam Cole baby, the big pop that he does when he comes to the ring. And then there's no time for you know, when they announce Brian Danielson because they're just trying to cut to the point of trying to have more time for this match. That'll be the, I mean, doing that shit, that's kind of like, that'll, that'll be like the same thing as AEW cut to a commercial break, and then JR comes back from the commercial break. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Dynamite on the commentary booth. We have CM Punk just totally cutting the whole fucking cult of personality and cutting his promo and him diving into the fucking stands and shit like that, getting the crowd pumped up. It, it'll be like the same thing as doing that shit. Um... As I mean, I'm all for cutting the bullshit, but the, as I said, the people that haven't seen the AEW product are trying to give wrestling a chance again. Um, you're killing that crowd reaction. So, uh, this eight-man tag starts off with Nick Jackson and Jungle Boy, and they're already doing the fucking circus wheel, cartwheel, fucking gymnastic bullshit, and just... So I'm I'm ready for two other competitors already fixing to come into the ring. So, but what's funny about this, and this was I love it when Jr. calls off, calls out shit on commentary that he sees that he feels that is so fucking bad. And this is what Jr. said, and, and it totally caught me off. I, well, it did caught me off guard because I was expecting him to say it when he said it, and I had actually had to go back and and find out what he said. Um, the Young Bucks were having like these fucking feather-looking strap fucking bands on their heads, and it looks completely just fucking stupid. And JR just says that, I'm sure these Bucks masks mean something to somebody, but right now they don't mean a damn thing to me. So somebody explain to me why these masks are still in place. And wait a minute. Thank you, Jim Ross, because I'm going to get to this. They are coming out here wearing these fucking guard belt looking blindfold bullshit on their head. And, you know, and once when you're in in ring fucking competition contact, that'll be that's, that's like any other fight. Like if you have a bandana on your head or if you have like a hat, if you're wearing a hat, if you come out there in a wrestling match or swinging or whatever, then yeah, man, the, the gear off your head is going to fly off your head. So they're already like five to ten minutes already in this match, and they still have that stupid bullshit on their heads, and it's fucking stupid. So and there's just another bad spot where the Jungle Boy locks fingers with both the fucking Garter Belt Boys. That's what I should be calling the Young Bucks, the Garter, the Garter Belt Boys. So there's a spot where he's just like bouncing on the third top rope where he's trying to move Nick Jackson closer from him being tied up so he could do this fake circus spot of locking the fingers in. It's like, man, it goes, please bring somebody else in the ring by, by now. So there's this, um, <coughs> there's a spot out on the mat later on where Chris and Cage uh, they have him on a spike uh, tombstone on the mat outside where, so so this spot is where 
Uh, Nick Jackson jumps over the ropes and pushes Cage down for a more impactful impact for the tombstone. But the way how he jumped over to third road, he kind of like just softly caressed his back while Matt Jackson just laid him down like like a like a soft fucking virgin boy laying down a woman's head on the bed before he, he figures out what's the next step of fucking cosplay here. It was just. So fucking soft, man. They could have they could have made that shit more realistic. So, and and here we go again with the damn Matt Jackson doing the whole fucking biting his fingers. Like, did I do that? Did I do? That? I mean, this is the bad comedy shit. And Kenny Omega's on the side doing the whole boo hoo and boo hoo and just just a terrible fucking comedy shit, man. They just. I mean, if, if they just if they just cut to the fucking bullshit and just stick fucking with this thing like seriously, then it wouldn't be such as fucking bad. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having comedy in play in wrestling. There's but because I mean, it's happened through the history of wrestling between Steve Austin and The Rock and Ric Flair, but they just don't know that psychology of that side to win the fucking fans over to even buy this shit in the fucking first place. So anyways, um, Marco Stunt and the Doctors checking on Cage, and they pretty much just said that it's gotta be a four-on-three match. So that means Chris and Cage is out and he can't compete after that fucking, after that fucking, you know, virgin boy fucking lay-down woman bullshit. So, going back into some more fucking bullshit. Bad spot bullshit. They've done this crap before, and they did in this match here. There's a spot where Jungle Boy's in the camel clutch, and the garter belt boys are bouncing back and forth repeatedly, multiple times back from one side to the other on the ropes, and they stopped in the middle of the ring of the camel clutch where Bo fucking the garter belt boys kiss Adam Cole on both sides of the cheek. And there's actually people fucking cheering for this shit. It's just... This crap shouldn't even be in the fucking play here. It just, I mean, at this point, man, I'm ready for this fucking match to be over. Here we go with some more bad shit after this, because this is funny, because all, all the Super Elite were involved in this, and they still couldn't even execute this crap. So, there's a spot where the Super Elite tried to help with the sit-down powerbomb, and they couldn't even lift up Luchasaurus, but once they did... It was kind of quick, fast, in the hurry, and they kind of held him for a soft landing. So let's just cut to the finish. The Super Elite do the fucking BTE trigger, all four knees to the face of the damn Jungle Boy, and that was the finish. I mean, I hate... I hate to cut that crap off onto this, and there were some spots where the fans wanted to see Daniel Bryan and Kenny Omega, and they got that spot, but they got, but Daniel Bryan got called in on a fucking cold tag when uh, when the ring was cleared, when there was no reason for him to be in the ring in the first place. So you have serious competitors in this eight man tag, in with comedy botch, bad spot, fucking bullshit. So. And I've seen these men work where they could actually be serious competitors. I just don't think that they're bad. I just don't think they're they're that that great at that at the comedy crap. So, so hopefully they could turn things around here. Uh, I, I highly doubt it because they've been doing this crap for some time. So, um, so we'll just have to see what's going to happen after all of this. So, and right after that, CM Punk cuts a promo. 
comes out to the ring, call a personality, gets the fans on their feet. He lets them know how a uh, special Philly holds a special place in his heart to him. How he used to live right down the road, etc. He asked the people... He he asked the people that he wants to give back to the city of Philadelphia. So do they all do they want CM Punk to buy him? Was it the cheese steak sandwiches, or do you want to see me wrestle? And they're all wrestle, wrestle. So okay, so he's going to fight Garcia at Friday night's Rampage on the eighth. He gives his Jordans that he's wearing to an Orange Cassidy fan, boy fan in the stands, and. I mean that's I mean that's a touching spot, man. Because you know, giving your Jordans off to uh, to a young fan like that, man, and that kind of reminds me of the day when Bret Hart used to give out his sunglasses to you know to the young boy or the young fan or whatever. That's you know that's a, a big fan of what of Bret Hart or whatever. But I also have written down on here at this point: When is CM Punk gonna have a match on fucking Dynamite? He wants to have these taped matches that are on Rampage that people are fighting sleep over that's not even drawing any ratings because he's ha- he's having um, these serious match- matches with talent that still needs to be properly pushed and brought up. And he is trying to do his part, but it's like he's finding talent shows from the dark elements of AEW that, 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 that don't really have a whole lot of TV time that still need to put their, you know, just still need to prove themselves on, on the TV time. So I give props to CM Punk. He's really trying to help out the, the product of AEW, but he needs to mix it up. He needs to have matches like with, with serious competitors and the fucking house show competitors. Just, you'll mix it up, you know? So, uh, moving forward, and this is a, this is a good spot too. Arn Anderson cuts a promo, um, uh, in a backyard of a, somebody's mansion somewhere. And, uh, he's got a barrel and he's lighting a suit on fire. And then he's cutting this promo and you could tell right away on the third sh- story balcony oh it's cody so okay it's cody rhodes's house so um arn anderson was like look who finally decides to see that i'm here won't you come on down here and see what's going on so i know there's been insiders or people on podcasts are talking about like how how can you not tell that you know arn anderson wasn't in your backyard burning shit on fire well actually to be honest with you man if you live in a big mansion house or whatever you're not going to be i mean it's a big house you could be on one side in front of the house and if somebody's doing some shit in the backyard you ain't gonna fucking know man because it, it, it ain't like you're looking out your windows unless if you live in a fucking ghetto somewhere out your windows like constantly so I mean, it, it, and they still cut to the point where Cody Rhodes saw that Arn Anderson was in the in the back of his yard. So, so, and then there's there's this line, but the bad thing about it is, it sounds like it sounds like Arn Anderson is saying that people thought I walked out on Cody last week, but that's not the end of it. And it was just so badly like edited and matched in together, like it looked like on three different segments. So, but I, I think that was the point that he was trying to cut across. So Arn is like, you finally realize I'm here. So Cody comes down to the yard. He goes, yeah, because you snuck in my house. When, you know, and what's, what's funny about it is 
Yeah, Cody said, yeah, you snuck in my house, but let's be honest, did he really sneak into his house? No. He was in his back fucking yard, okay? So, Arn Anderson is having his face-to-face promo with Cody, saying you can have a hit TV show and a multi-million dollar mansion, and when you're winning, everyone is like, damn right, I'm proud of you. But as a wrestler, there's no place for that shit. So, um, and then this is great because you can look at this on, on certain different angles. In this promo, he says, why don't you just paint a damn star on your face and everything will be cool. Here you go, Arn Anderson. I'm glad he actually said that shit because you could look at that at totally different angles. Okay. The way how I looked at it when he said it, because... Cody Rhodes was in the WWE and he was stardust and he had the star on his fucking face, that really bad gimmick spot in the WWE. You could look at it that way, or you could look at it as, hey, you're just trying to be the TV star and, you know, you're trying to be the fucking drama soap opera TV guy and having your face elsewhere besides the wrestling ring, yada, yada. So he pretty much cuts down to the point and says, give me the tie. This is just more excess. And Cody's like, you don't have to do that. I get I get it. I get what you're doing. And Arn Anderson slaps him in the face, and, and he says, uh, and Arn tells him, you threw us away, damn it. So he's pretty much telling him, you threw us away. Trying to be a bigger star and getting your head out of the fucking game of wrestling here. So it looks like Arn is trying to get Cody back on track. And honestly, why not Arn Anderson? I mean, Arn Anderson would be a, a, a perfect answer for it. I mean, the guy's got the hell of a resume. He ain't got nothing to prove. So if anyone's going to get him back on track, especially with the relationship that he had with his dad, and you know, and, you know the Four Horsemen and NWA and all those years. So if anybody's going to get Cody Rhodes back on track and make the storyline even believable, where he could actually be a, you know, a, a ser- more of a more of a serious contender when it comes to a third match or whatever with Malachi Black if they build it up the right way. I mean, Arn Anderson can do it. Okay, the next match, it was uh, Sammy Guevara versus Bobby Fish for the TNT Championship. Uh, as I stated previously before in uh, on this episode, that uh, Sammy Guevara he won the TNT title against Miro. Um, so, Miro carried the belt for quite some time, so I don't know what kind of angle they're going to have with Miro. Are they going to maybe try to push him in that heavyweight title category? It's kind of hard to say that, because look at all the star power that they've recently just got between Brian Danielson and uh, and CM Punk, and then you got some other stars in the mix, and I'll get that to that point here in a second. So, in, uh, in this match, Sammy Guevara versus Bobby Fish. Bobby Fish from NXT. He was part of the... Was it the Undisputed Era with Adam Cole? And I didn't really... I'm not too familiar with Bobby Fish's work, but I heard he is a good worker, but he's a much better when, he, and when he's in a tag team. And honestly, since Sammy won the belt, this is kind of like a squash match to me. It was a way to introduce Bobby Fish in the AEW because um, Sammy isn't going to drop the belt just being champion, what, for five days? I mean, I respect the open challenge, but it's kind of like bad... It's kind of like bad for business to a certain extent because but in this aspect i guess it's fine because you're trying to introduce you know introduce newer talent i guess it's a way to open up that door to bring in that talent to introduce them to the aw brand so um uh after that uh tony Schiavone's in the ring um 
and he's announced that there's a new belt in the women's division, and it's going to be the TBS championship. And actually, and this is what's funny because uh, I, I didn't notice this or whatever because uh, I don't really watch TBS too much, but I know that um, Dynamite is going to be moved to, T, to TBS in January and Rampage is going to stay on TNT on Friday nights, which, I don't know, I, they, they, they need to do a different time slot on that Rampage because they're just killing themselves on that late night fucking slot, so... Um, the women's belt, the TBS uh, Women's Championship belt, because uh, I guess it's going to be for the promotion for TBS. But if you actually look at the engraved symbol, I didn't notice this until I heard this. If you actually look at the belt, it looks like it says the Hose Ch- Championship because that T does not cut all the way across. And uh, where that T crosses on the right side, it connects, as, it, it connects with that B. And it, and it just, the way how it's engraved, it just looks like the host championship, which is pretty freaking hilarious. So, um, and then after that, he had Darby Allen. He's cutting a promo. He's sitting down with JR. Um, he states the fact that he paints half his face because he's 50% dead inside because of that car wreck that he was inside um, uh, the vehicle with his uncle when his uncle died. Um, MJF has brought that out to his attention the, the, the week prior about um, how he should have died instead of his uncle, and then he's like, man, you're just not going to get to me. So, um, But in this promo, he just pretty much states the fact that MJ never met anyone like me. Um, so, and after, it was a short promo, taped promo. After that, there is a match between Darby Allen coming to the ring, and you got uh, Nick Camarado. And I hate this shit. I'll, I'll get to this too. Okay, Darby Allen, he's a he's a great face to the company, AEW. He's probably the one of the biggest babyface going on. I don't hate Darby Allen. I just hate how they did this fucking match because it was a fucking squash match. Uh, Nick looks mean. He looks serious. He's fucking big and hairy, and he's got a lot of fucking um, passion in his fucking face. Man, he, this guy looks like he could fucking kill you. And um, And who does he get fucking beat by? Fucking a five foot eight, a hundred and sixty pound fucking baby face, okay? And it's just, and it's people like Nick Camarado that they should be pushing for, like, you know, like the the other belts, maybe like you know, to to be one of the other uh, faces, you know, someone that doesn't recognize in the brand. So pushing for like a, maybe like a tags title or, or a, a TNT or something, a TNT title shot or something, because I feel like. They could do more with Nick Camarado. I don't know if he just has a problem with his promos or if he does have, doesn't have enough oomph or whatever, but I've seen the dude in the rain. The, the dude looks like he could practically rip you apart, man. He looks like a fucking man that can kill you. So, um, so it just, uh, how, how, how all this occurred was Darby Allen hit the ring and he kind of just jumped off the ropes, hitting. Nick Camarado on the floor. They went to a quick commercial break and they came back and he's and uh, he's in the road in the ring in the corner. Darby hits him hard and then he does the coffin drop on his back. One, two, three. The shit was over. It was fucking. It was it was no longer than five minutes. It was stupid. It was, it was actually shorter than that. Um, if you're counting, if you're not counting the commercial break, that's the only thing that made this go on longer than what did was the fucking commercial break. So, and after that. Um, uh, QT Marshall, he hits uh, Sting with the cutter, and and 
Sting just doesn't even sell it. He hurries up and gets back up. He kicks QT Marshall in the balls and hits him with the score being death drop. Um, I don't care when Sting does it every once in a while, but it seems like he does it on every spot. When somebody attacks him or whatever, it's like he doesn't sell it. He hurries up. He's, it's like, it's like he's the only guy that does that in AEW. A 62-year-old man could take like the strongest fucking bumps and just no-sells it, acts like it doesn't fucking hurt him, but all these other fucking little wimpy fucking dark element fucking talented guys that are on there, they can be hit with the fucking elbow drops and fucking a couple kicks to the face or whatever, and it's like they're down on the floor for fucking ever, and it's just, I just don't see how a fucking young guy can't bounce back over that shit, over a guy that's like fucking 62 years old, but, I mean, I'm not trying to stomp on Sting, man, he's a legend, he does have, he has nothing left to prove, he still has plenty in the tank, but, I mean, I'm just not buying the whole fucking, I'm 62 years old, and I'm just gonna fucking not sell, because I'm fucking Sting, I mean, that's, because, because that hurt, that hurts, that just hurts the other talent, so, and I feel like that's another reason why Sting should be there, it's not only for himself, but it's but to help the, the younger talent, because he's coming to, He's coming to the end of his run, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be in AEW, nowhere else. So, I mean, we'll fucking make it count. Uh, help yourself, but help others, too. So, um, there was a segment after that where the Dark Order was working, trying to get better back together. They've had some um, some issues. They've been butting some heads on the decision-making and who should be the boss, and everyone should work together. And what's fucking more stupid about this is you got two ladies that are part of this damn faction, and they act more like fucking men than what the damn... Uh, what the men do. So, it's like, it's like the, the, they're letting the ladies take control over this fucking faction more than the fucking guys do. So, we're going to move on forward past that because the Dark Order, for me, they're like the new... How do I want to say it? What's that group that was back in the Attitude Era? The Oddities with the fucking... The, the big guy with the fucking mask and the Cartman doll and the fucking ICP. That's, that, that's kind of like what Dark Order is here. And, it's just, and, and they're just not doing nothing for me. So, um, Deontay Martin... He cuts a promo in the ring about he's proven himself in the AEW brand and is willing to take on anyone on a forthcoming. So the lights hit. Um, it's totally pitch black. And who's right behind him? It's uh, Malachi Black. Malachi Black is out in the dark. Uh, he's out in the dark and he hits uh, with uh, Deontay Martin with the black mask. Not black mask. Black mask. But first he spits him with the, with the green spray, <laughs> with the, the shit comes out of his mouth or whatever, and then he hits him with the kick. He grabs the mic and he says the House of Black uh, accepts the challenge. They cut to a commercial break. Right after that, Ricky Stark's standing in the ring. Ricky Starks cuts this promo on the, about the FTW belt, uh, the belt that Taz built in the ECW days and the... Uh, they brought that belt back because Team Taz has that FTW mindset, and that's what I have. And uh, he's calling out Bobby Cage, and Bobby Cage doesn't have that mindset anymore because he's the former champion. And I was going to defend the title, but he isn't here, and he's scared, and yada yada. So guess who comes out, man? Big ass fucking robot destruction of a Brian Cage comes out, and he attacks Starks. Uh, we're gonna cut this short, but uh, apparently this match is gonna be on Rampage. It's a uh, Ricky Starks versus Cage in a Philly street fight for the FTW belt. Uh, Ricky starts one to have this match for the city of, of Philadelphia because that's where ECW uh, planted their stomping grounds and their roots to, to for you know, on, on that hardcore part of wrestling, which is, is still going on today. 
So uh, they still have a meaningful impact, even though the brand has been dead for quite some time. So, um, But honestly, man, does anybody give a damn about the FTW belt? No, they ain't doing nothing with it, man. So it's just one of those belts that are just hanging around this brand new brand of AEW that they can't really do a whole lot really with, or they're not willing to do anything with because they just want to throw something flashy on somebody. So um, after that... Alex, uh, I think his name the, the 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 not the ring announcer, but the but the commentary guy. I think his name is Alex Alex Martez or something like that. He meets Darby Allen in the parking garage before he leaves the arena. He lets him know that MJF went to Tony Khan asking for a match against Darby Allen, and he wanted to know that if he was going to accept it. And Darby Allen says, of course, I thought he'd never ask. So this limbo pulls up, uh, pulls up right in front of him, stopping him from leaving the arena. Uh, Darby starts taking off his jacket and his shirt and everything. So, and then all of a sudden, here comes this guy, all in black, a uh, black mask, black shirt, whatever, attacks him from behind with a chair shot, and he grabs the camera. And you can see when he grabs the camera how it zoomed in in his face. You can tell it's Sean Spears from the Pinnacle. And then there's these two, there's these two masked men that jump out on Darby, and they long dart him on the stop sign uh, against the bay door where the guardrails and the stop sign are. are all of a sudden and planted on the door where it looks like they're trying to guard from somebody leaving or they're just planting it there for a spot in which you can perfectly tell that that's what they did here. So, um, and all of a sudden here comes this big guy. He does the F10 on Darby on the stack of the garden rails and the stop sign where they planted on the concrete ground away from the, from the bay door. And all of a sudden all this crap is going on. I'm like, where the fuck is Sting? I said, exactly. Because you know why? Because I mean, if Stan's going to be a part of Darby Allen, then how come he's why is he not in a spot like this? I understand that you're building this spot to get some heat, but you could still get some heat on fucking Darby Allen with with the whole fucking pinnacle attack in Darby Allen. But the whole time Sting's with him on the sidelines, you know, uh, when uh, Darby Allen's coming to the ring with the Nick Camarado match. But where the fuck is he at in the back? I mean, it's 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 fucking stupid. So um, another masked man comes out. He's He's waving his finger to you know to roll the cameras or whatever, so uh, for for them to go, um, he's choking uh, Darby Allen with his own damn skateboard on the end of it. So you could tell it's already MJF. It's the whole pinnacle. It's FTR. It's Wardlow. It's Sean Spears. MJF. So they're just building this matchup for next week, and I'm I'm fine with that. But I wish they would have. Um, I like the angle with the whole camera, and they laid on the ground to show him where he's all. They got the heat on him while they walked away. I mean, it was a good spot, but they could have, they could have done it better, in my opinion. Um, okay, and after that, I, I guess Leo Rush is back. <laughs> you no, know, I mean, I, I and I honestly don't give a shit. Um, Leo Rush was in the WWE. He was a little manager and uh, uh, for Bobby Lashley, and then. Either no, they took his copyright phrase, the Almighty, and they put on Bobby Lashley. Leo Rush is still not getting no credit for it, which he rightfully deserves. I'll give Leo Rush prompts to that. But Leo Rush doesn't do nothing for me. Um, I'm not really too familiar with his work, but um, maybe some people are excited to see him back. But hes I just think that he's going to retire again in seven, seven, six, seven months, whatever. So, um, okay, uh, let's move forward to the main event. You got the casino ladder match. You got uh, Orange Cassidy, you got Bastard Pack, John Moxley, Andrade, Lance Archer, and there's a Joker card involved in this. So the Joker card, so that means that's the last man that comes out if no one hasn't po- uh, grabbed the, the poker chip yet in the casino ladder match. 
So, okay, and then, of course, you know they're going to have to do that. So um, a, a new guy comes out every two minutes in this match. So they build it up where John Moxa comes out there, Adrade first, Archer, okay, because the first two that start this is Pack and Orange. So who is the Joker card? Fucking cowboy shit himself, hangman fucking page. And the crowd freaking did a huge pop. They're glad to see that he is back. They're yelling cowboy shit. So it was perfect way to bring him back. Uh, Page because uh, bring back Adam Page because of the, the the pop of the crowd and then you know and AEW fans they love Adam Page it's just they ruin his reputation of having him go on these different directions with the Dark Order and, and it kind of fucking overshadowed him and just and so he needed to break away from that group to fucking uh, you know cool it down cool the jets let's reset and let's bring him back because. They could they could build it up in that direction that he has a, that title shot. I'm all for that, but but these people, these these insiders and these people are like, well, you kind of already ruined that with Hangman Adam Page because uh, he's not as he can't be as serious as CM Punk or Daniel Bryan. But yes, he can. You heard you could hear the the reaction in the crowd, man. They're they're serious about him. The fans love him, and when. Hangman Page is, I mean, I don't mind him doing the whole cowboy shit and the drinking or whatever, but um, I guess he's got diff different sides to his drinking, and which, I mean, and, and anybody that, that, that does drink or that is alcoholic, they are going to have different sides to him. So, I mean, I, I've never had a problem with Hangman Page. The only time I've had a problem with him or I felt like they're, like, fucking trying to, you know, throw some water on his fire is him hanging out with the fucking Dark Order. So, this is a perfect way to bring him back. There was a spot where Hangman Page did the dead eye on Pack, and he turned him almost at not the right way, because if this would have been one second fucking bad, then Pack could have fucking really injured himself. But, um, so, um, uh, there, there's been a couple spots out there after that couple trades. Uh, there's a spot where the, the finish should have been when Hangman Anna Page did the bug shot on Archer and grabs for the chip, but guess who fucking meets him up the ladder? Fucking John Moxley. So John Moxley, he meets him up the ladder and they're training punches, and you can see where he brings his face in close and he tells Hangman Anna Page to finish. And all of a sudden they just they just stop punching each other. And John Moxley just fades for no reason and just fucking just lightly falls on the damn fucking mat. And while Hangman Page grabs the fucking chip and he wins. I'm all for damn Hangman Hangman Adam Page winning this match. But it's just that damn finish, man. The finish should have been the buckshot on Archer. He went up the ladder and grabbed the chip and that should have been, that would have been the perfect fucking finish right there. Alright, moving forward to the next WWE segment. This is SmackDown of on the eighth that happened this over this past Friday. Um, it starts off with uh, I guess Bel Air and Becky Lynch and Banks. They're not totally in the ring, but this is the contract signing for the three way women's championship match at Crown Jewel that happens on the twenty first. Um, so the thing about this contract signing, I didn't like the fact how they're all separated. Uh, Sasha Banks was over by the announce table. Uh, Becky Lynch had her own table like uh, down the ramp, and Belair had her own table inside the middle of the ring. I guess with the two managers that are that are in the ring. So, um, of course, they trade off their promo spots. Uh, Becky Lynch calls uh, Sasha Banks a disco ball, you know, and uh, 
Sasha Banks talks about how the fans are glad that she's back and you know, and the fans want them to be the champion. And um, uh, Bel Air comments on Becky Lynch about how that 26 seconds, that, that was just pure luck. And, you know, and Becky Lynch was like, well, I'm, I'm good enough to beat you in 26 seconds. And they just keep going back and forth from that angle. So um, they exchange the words. And then Sasha Banks attacks uh, Bel Air from behind because that's what she's been doing. She's been, you know, getting cheap shots on everyone here lately. So, uh, but there, w- uh, there was this uh, spot before the attack happened that uh, Bel Air was trying to get pissed and lift up the computer chair over the ropes, and she couldn't even barely freaking do it, and just like kind of just kind of splashed over the ropes and everything. So I'm like thinking, okay, so here's this woman that's been the damn champion for months or whatever. Yeah, she gets squashed by Bank Lynch in 26 seconds, but she don't have enough fucking power to fucking lift up a computer chair. And what's like, whatever. Okay. But then she damn redeemed herself in this sweet spot right here because, uh, Sasha Banks comes in, text Belair, Becky Lynch tries to get in between all of them. Uh, they all have a mix up. There was a spot where, uh, Sasha Banks was up against the corner with Becky Lynch and Belair, um, so Baylor, Baylor has Banks and Becky on her shoulders. Banks rolls off, and Baylor kicks Banks in the stomach and knocks her toward the table with Becky Lynch's legs. And then she does like this reverse attitude, uh, attitude adjustment, putting both Becky Lynch and Banks through the table. So just seeing that spot, her that woman just carrying those two women on, their, on her back, I was like, she kind of redeemed herself like to show how strong she was after that fucking computer chair. So, um... So, okay, so that I, I felt like that was a nice way to fucking redeem her strength right there. Okay, this is where the complete fucking bullshit comes in. Okay, um, apparently they're having a King of the Ring tournament. For the people that don't know what the King of the Ring is, it's, uh, it was something that was built back in the 80s and what, how, how they used to do it was they used to have like 16 men and 8 matches on the first round. This back when I remember when I was a kid. And then out of that, out of those matches, they would have a quarterfinals, a semifinals, and a finals all on one fucking night. That was the King of the Ring. That's why they called it the King of the Ring in the first place. Because through all the competitions all on one night and through all the fucking separations and the and the bumps and the bruises and the fucking shoulder tears and the separations and all that crap, you had to dig your way through all the competitions to get that fucking crown being called the king of the ring. That's why they call you the king of the ring in the first place. But you know what they do? No, they don't do it that way because king of the ring hasn't been king of the ring in over 20 years. So how they're going to do it is they're going to have, what is it? An eight-man fucking corner finals on the 11th, okay? And then you're going to have the damn uh, semifinals, I guess, on the 15th and the 18th. And then you're going to have the two men fight each other at Crown Jewel, the finals match. It's complete fucking bullshit. You just totally just bamboozled and ruined the fucking rules of the damn King of the Ring in the first place. I just remember back when... People like, damn, I don't like Mabel and Bret Hart. They had to go through like fucking four people all in one night just to damn, or, or three the three to four people in one night just to be crowned king of the ring when it was actually fucking worth it. So, moving forward. The bloodline, they hit the ring. Roman Reigns lets San Jose to acknowledge him. Paul Heyman, uh, 
They're letting him know that he had one job to do and he did it. He brought the Usos to SmackDown during the draft to keep the bloodline together. So San Jose, San Jose acknowledged Mr. fucking Paul Heyman, the wise man. And he let Roman, uh, not Roman, Roman Reigns lets Paul Heyman know, hey man, I love you. The Usos love you. You're the wise man to the bloodline. That's what, uh, that's what uh, I want you to do is to be wise right now. I want you to tell the truth. I want you to admit you're responsible for Brock Lesnar's free agency. And, man, Paul Heyman is just so freaking perfect in the spot, man. Just the emotions and the scare tactic and just... He, man, he's scared that he's scared that like, he's gonna lose like his best friend, man. I, I mean, it just the acting in here is is off the off the charts here. He, he he's trying to break it down, and he's he's kind of scared to look at Roman Reigns in the eyes and everything. And Roman Reigns lifts, lifts his head up, and he kind of goes into character about you know it doesn't matter what I say here, it's just gonna look bad. But if you think I'm planning this kind of scheme to break up the bloodline at Crown Jewel, or I have like this back kind of scheme plan with Brock Lesnar, and no, that's that's asinine, that's crazy, and, you know, and, uh, I, you know, and I, I'm the wise man here for, you know, for the tribal chief, and yada, yada, so Roman Reigns, he pretty much cuts the shit, he goes, don't tell me, look at the camera and tell Brock Lesnar, so Paul Heyman looks at the camera, giving Brock Lesnar the credit where the accomplishment is due between his championship run and The Undertaker and everything, but he's letting him know, that uh, you have finally met your match. It is Matt, you know, and his name is Roman Reigns. So yeah, they're they're building this up the right way. I, I like the way how this is going because because the way how this is looking, it's looking like you know you don't know what's going to happen with Paul Heyman. Is he going to be on Brock Lesnar's side, or is he going to break up the bloodline, or is he going to be true with the bloodline, or is he going to go with Brock Lesnar? You don't know how which way it's going to go. So this is very unpredictable, and it's and it's new, and this in a. They've had matches before, Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, but but none of them has ever been put in a spot before, and it's just totally brand new. So, so anyways, moving on to the next segment, uh, Seth Rollins. After he's already broken to Edge's house from last week, you know, uh, Seth Rollins is there tonight. He wants to answer at the end of the night for his last challenge against Edge, and he asks the management, "Is is Edge here?" And oh, we don't know if he's here after since you broke into his house and yada yada. So nobody doesn't know that he's there. So later that night, uh, Seth hits the ring with the promo, yada yada. Uh, Edge comes out all pissed comes out with the chair and breaks the end of the chair and tries to do that cross face yada yada uh Seth Rollins breaks free goes up the ramp or whatever it's Edge accepts to their third and final match in which is going to be in the hell in the cell and that is absolutely perfect because if this feud is going to end hell in the cell is supposed to be meant to end feuds so I'm hoping that the Hell in the Cell actually redeems their self and they actually use the fucking cell here because Hell in the Cell has been bamboozled now for years and back in the late 90s, that's what it was meant for was to build up this rivalry feud that's been going on for a while and to end it in a Hell in the Cell. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's all I got for right now for the last, what, week or so for the the wrestling news and everything that's going on. Uh... I'm not really going to get into Rampage. I know I told you about the CM Punk match or whatever, and he just needs to wrestle more on Dynamite. Uh, the Lucha Bros had a match against the Acclaimed. That was that was pretty solid. Um, I know I kind of ran too long on this episode here. I'm going to try to cut it short, but um, Rampage numbers ain't doing any better. Um, 
but this coming Friday, I guess they're going to have a, a super SmackDown where they extended uh, SmackDown for another 30 minutes that's going to run over to the time slot of Rampage. So, Tony Khan, man, I don't know what his deal is. He's probably on high on crack or whatever, but he's like, I can't wait to beat you in the ratings Friday night. Well, dude, like, how the fuck can you even say that? Because you're only drawing 500k a night on the viewership on Rampage because people are fighting to sleep that night and people want to do other shit at damn 10 o'clock at night. As I said before, they even want to hang out with their friends or girlfriends or boyfriends or hang out with each other. You know, they're trying to have a fun night with one another. I mean, just there's people actually fucking going to sleep or trying to do shit around 10 o'clock. They're trying to fucking call it a night. And they want to watch movies or play video games, whatever, and they just don't want to watch a bullshit segment of wrestling if you don't give them something to watch. I'm not saying that CM Punk ain't nothing to watch, but you got to give the fans something to watch to tune into this shit. So, because, I mean, back when wrestling was really huge, or whatever, back in the 80s or whatever, when they used to have the Saturday night main events and stuff like that, that crowd would be going on at 10 o'clock, 10.30 at night, but yeah, they didn't, they didn't have constant you know, runs throughout the weeks. Sometimes they did, but but not mostly. But it's, you know, it's just uh, uh, at that time slot, it's like there was more people watching because they had, you know, the bigger talent and mainer, actually mainer event matches on that time slot where you have people want to tune in and watch on it. So, so I don't know where t- Tony Khan needs to get off his high horse because the Rampage numbers are not going to beat the 2 million viewership on fucking Friday Night SmackDown. So... I wish I was more positive about this crap, um, but I'm going to call out bad shit when I see it, and I've seen just a lot of fucking sloppy shit this week, so maybe uh, this week will be better. I know we still have Monday Night Raw going on tonight, but as I said, I'm not going to tune too much into it because they're just trying to pass by time until after Crown Jewel and everyone goes their ways after you know on the final um, on the final curtain calls on the draft that, that were made. So... Um, so it's until next time. Thank you for listening.